This is the coach, Brendan Sir. Welcome to another Coaching You podcast. One of the things I'm so excited about today's guest, John Gordon, is every book that John has written, he's now on like maybe his 15th book. We try to do a podcast before each book comes out. And I'm so proud to say the energy bus was out first, but every succeeding book that has come out that we've done a podcast with has gone to number one on the New York Times or Wall Street Journal bestsellers book. The, his books are phenomenal, whether you're a coach, business person, clergy, or a parent, okay? They're must-haves because he understands people so well. You're going to love the power of a positive team. He's going to also be speaking at Coaching You Live, July 9 and 10 in Vegas. He's going to be there the entire two days. Great chance to connect with him. He's one of the best in the world. The best coaches in the world use him as a consultant, Uh we're glad to coaching you. He's a faculty member and a friend. Really enjoy. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. It is my honor uh, and a tradition that we've established at Coaching You uh, over the last several years that every time our Coaching You faculty member and one of my best friends in the world, writes a book, he comes on, and he brings it to us to share with our coaching community of 75,000 of our closest friends. So, John Gordon, welcome back. Brendan, great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me back each time. So this, and every time, you know, I read one of your books, you're great enough to give me uh, advanced copies, and every time I read one, I go, John, that might be the best one. And I, and, I, and I think that started when, you know, you know, as a coach, you know, you always want the next play to be better. And each one of your books, you know, I started with you literally with the energy bus. And I went through and I always tell the story when I'm going through China and you'd give me the positive dog to read on the trip. And I'm sitting on a bus going through Shenzhen, China with, you know, 10 NBA players and I'm in tears all right. And then one of the guys says, Hey, you all right? And I think it was Rodman. And he's, I said, You're all right. And I said, Yeah. I said, These, the smog is killing me. <laughs> it was the darn dog that wasn't picked to go. I, so I love your work. You've taught me so much. And, you know, I thought I was a hell of a coach beforehand, but you've taken me to such a different level now. So congratulations on this new book. Thanks, Brendan. I, I appreciate it. When we came to the power of a positive team, which is, 
you know, kind of my sweet spot, uh, you know, A, why did you go there? Well, when I wrote The Power of Positive Leadership, right. that was all about leaders mm-hmm. building their teams. So a great leader builds great relationships and great teams. But I wanted to write a book that teams could read together. I really believe that there needed to be a book that a team could read together and say, okay, this is what we need to do to be a great team. And so I wrote in such a way where I share the principles, share ideas, and if a team reads together, they're going to know what they need to do to become a great team. They're also going to know the pitfalls and the adversity and the challenges that could sabotage their team. So it lays it all out. And when they're done, they should be able to really be a stronger team as a result of that. I knew a lot of teams were reading the energy bus. And this is really everything I've learned since reading the energy, or since writing the energy bus and working with a lot of teams on that book and those principles. And I've just learned so much over the years. That's why, you know, you said my books get better. I appreciate that because I'm always learning and growing. And so as I continue to learn and grow, my content evolves, my ideas evolve. I get more wisdom, more insight, more knowledge about what great leaders do and what great teams do. And in this book, I just pretty much share it all. Well, I think you're into the mindset of growth uh, and always have been uh, since we met years ago. And the thing that uh, that keeps driving me is that you have stimulated me to say, how do I keep getting better? And I often have coaches saying to me, God darn, you won championships. You've coached over 3,000 games in the NBA. You're still trying to get better. And I'm not even getting close. And and so th- a book like this, you know, and I think I'm a master of team building and teamwork and, and, and winning teams. But man, this thing took me to another level. Well, I appreciate that. Nothing better than talking to someone like you and us learning from each other. And you know how coaches get together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Spolster and I will get together and we'll just talk about ideas and leadership and coaching. And I'll get together with Dabo and we'll talk about that. and. It was recently with Sean McVay, and we'll talk about that and talk about leadership and building a culture and you know some challenges along the way. And I know you'll get together with all these other coaches that are in the NBA and college and so forth, and you're always exchanging ideas. And it's really a great community, I believe, coaching, because what I have found, and I know you know, the best coaches are always like giving and taking and learning and growing. And as we know, some coaches also like they, they steal ideas, you know, and they make it their own. But that's healthy, right? That's what they do. Like a football coach sees a play and goes, okay, that's now my play. I'm using that. For instance, the Eagles, right? They ran that touchdown play in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They got that from Clemson football and the play that they ran with Deshaun Watson. So it was really cool to see like great ideas spread and share. Well, yeah, and and that's exactly what, you know, we we have a little saying at Coaching You when we do our Coaching You live event that you're always, uh, you know, kind enough to be with our community of coaches to help them, is that, you know, give each one of the coaches you learned something from credit one time, and then you own it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I and I and we laugh about it, but it's the truth because you know I as all the, the you know I'm a savant of plays, offensive plays and stuff. But uh, I'm not sure I had an original one yet. Uh, you know I've tweaked a lot of them, but I don't know. And I think we're all like that. But what we you do in this book is you stimulate my thought process of did I do this with the Pistons? Did I we did Chuck and I do this with the Dream Team? I. 
And you know what? And that, and the collaboration that I took from this immediately, because I, I do a lot of work with businesses, is immediately I said, this is, this is such an application to business. Forget sports. Uh, you know, everything that we do is applies to sports, but to business, the idea of small leadership groups, I think, is what is so important. How do you get connect to small leadership groups and you show how to do that? Yeah, no one creates success alone. We, we all need a team to be successful. And so even it may look like one guy created success or one woman created success. No, there was a team around them that helped them be successful. So in this book, I share examples of sports. I share examples of business. I share examples music and writing. For instance, Brian Koppelman and his writing mm -hmm. partner, David Levin. They created the show Billions, the hit show on mm -hmm. Showtime, right? Billions. Well, I said, what made you a great writing team? They said, we had a, a shared vision and a, and a greater purpose. Like We knew what we wanted to create. We knew we wanted to do something amazing, something great. And so everything that we did was towards the project, towards creating something great. And he said, you do not let egos get in the way mm. when you and your team members are there to create something great together. And I just loved it because I thought of every sports team and that's the same way. Well, speaking of sports teams, I interviewed Kerry Walsh Jennings. Mm -hmm. Kerry Walsh Jennings and Misty May make up the greatest beach volleyball team of all time. And I asked her what made them a great team. She said very, something very similar. We wanted to be great. We knew we wanted to kick ass together is what <laughs> she said. And we had a deep desire to do so. And in doing that, we were really all in to accomplishing something amazing, something that had never been done together. And so I thought here she was telling me the same thing a, a writer did about a TV show. And yet we were talking about a team. So it didn't matter if it was in sports or if it was in Hollywood or is in business. The same principles apply when we talk about what it means to be a great team. I could see it in music too, uh, the collaboration, uh, you know, between the singer, the musicians, and of course the person that's putting it all together. You know, I could just see how it could be so strong, how a, an artist like whether it be Jay-Z or something, I mean, you can just see how prominent it is in every area. And uh, and, and that's what makes it good. What Did you have some, uh, what core principles did you find that, you know, were really applicable? Well, one, we talked about shared vision, greater purpose. We also talk about a great team stays positive together. You don't, during training camp, mm -hmm. every team is positive because they're all undefeated. <laughs> but what you find is that the great teams stay positive through the challenges, through the adversity. The Dodgers, for instance, starting out this season, were not doing well at all. People were writing them off already, like in the beginning of the season. Right. But I knew this team was not done. I knew this team was going to keep fighting. Well, they just made it back to 500. They're now 30 and 30 after last night's win. They're 14 and four in their last 18 games. This is a team that stayed positive. I've worked with them now for three years in a row. I've, I've seen this team that they do not give up. They keep fighting. They stay positive. And I know that sounds so simple. It may sound cliche, but what we find is that a lot of teams give up along the way because they get discouraged, they get down, negativity sets in. So a simple principle is that the great teams stay positive. They stay positive together, they stay positive through their adversity, and they do not allow the situation to define them. They have a vision of where they're going, 
They know who they want to be. They know the culture that they want to create. And they continue to work hard through all the downtimes. And while other teams are giving up and, and just fading away, the great ones stay focused, stay positive, and then eventually have success in the long run. So you, you I, I know all the teams that you've worked with, but in, in looking you know, and leadership, obviously, you know, I mean, the last book was about leadership. So the leader of a team, and there usually has, there has to always be, I think, a leader of a team in business, music, sport, etc. So let's say Adabo Sweeney, he's the leader of the team. But what did, what made Clemson great over the years, in your opinion? So it's the culture that he created, Mm -hmm. the belief he instilled, and his leadership. But what I wrote about in the book is it's not just his leadership. It's the leaders that they had on the team that made them so successful. Clemson doesn't win a national championship if they don't have Deshaun Watson. Sure. So you need leaders in the locker room. I'm sure you know mm-hmm. this as well as anyone. Like the Pistons. Tell me about the Pistons. Like I want to know from you, Brandon, what made the Pistons a great team? Were there leaders in the locker room? Six, six internal leaders. Six okay. internal leaders, and, and internal leadership is what drove the bus, you know. And, uh, you know, I, everyone knows Isaiah was a great leader. Bill Lambeer, Rick Mahorn, Dennis Rodman led by example. Joe Dunars never said a word, but he always did the right thing. Uh, so there's different forms of leadership, and but internal leadership drives the bus, so to speak, right? Totally. Yeah. Brendan, do coaches get too much credit sometimes when they – like Brad Stevens is getting a lot of credit. Now, he's an amazing coach. We know that. Yes. But but we can't forget the contribution from all these great players and how they're playing as a team. Am I right? Well, yeah. And, and Brad, because of his, you know, guys like Brad, Chuck Daly, they deflect all the notoriety. They don't want it. They don't want it. And, and what we found in the NBA is as soon as you as a coach start acting like you're the reason you're winning – your players will make sure you don't win a game. You know, uh, Steve Kerr never takes an ounce of credit for anything that goes on with Golden State. And I think that's so important. Uh, you know, when you're at the highest level of you know, sport, uh, talent is the first pays the price of admission, let's say. That, that's, you know, even with Brad losing two tremendous players, two all-star caliber players, he still had some talent there. But more importantly, they were a team. And I think they sacrificed so much, and they 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 were only as good as when all five of them played well. And I mm. think, and that and that's the secret to who he is. But I love his, uh, I think his uh, demeanor. Uh, we always think about the the Lombardi, the Newt Rockney type of guy, and I think many times now it's not the guy with the fist in the air and pumping it and doing that. That person's coaching to their personality, which I think is great. But Brad is, you know, I, you know, I think uh, what interesting thing, John, that we saw with uh, NBA f- TV footage is they showed now these guys giving their pregame talk, and I noticed Steve Kerr and Brad Stevens sat down. They sit with the players right amongst them. They sit on a, a on a seat right next to a player, and they do their pregame talk from a seat, having a conversation with them. And I thought that was so powerful. Yeah, I would call that collaborative leadership. More yes. and more, we're seeing collaborative leaders, and the way they lead by bringing their team together is what really creates success in the long run. Well, if you you know, I, interviewed, yeah. I interviewed I interviewed Brian Bowen for this book, and Brian Bowen 
was the head coach of UVA tennis from 2001 to 2012. Never won a championship. Okay. In 2013, starting then, they won four out of the next five. So I'm looking at his records. I'm looking at his championships. I'm looking at the drought from 2001 to 2012. I'm like, something had to happen here. So I said, Brian, what happened? He said, I became a different coach. I became a different leader. He's like, we always had talent, but we weren't a team. He said, I was all about winning and I was all about the outcome. He said, I didn't say it, but my players knew it. They knew my heart. And so I changed. I knew I had to be the kind of leader that made it about the team. So he started to build a culture. He started to build a, a true team. And that UVA team starting in 2013 took that talent from their culture and their teamwork, then drove their whole team towards greatness. And so that's what happens. It's amazing like when you start to see the success that happens. I was curious though from you in thinking about teams. Again, I want to make this, I love interactive because sure. You know, I mean, come on, talk about teamwork. I mean, you're the expert on it. Uh, you, I think you were working with teams before I was born. But, but, I, <laughs> but I think so. A, a big question is, you know, you had the dream team. So that's a team, obviously, that had talent. You have to have talent, but there always has to be more than talent. So, did that team have some great camaraderie? Did, were were they a connected team? Like, what made them special? Well, I think I, I think uh, Chuck Daly set the tone. He had assistance of Coach K at from Duke, Lenny Wilkins, the winningest coach in NBA history, PJ Carlissimo, who was another college coach at the time at Seton Hall, and uh, you know, longtime veteran. Uh, and so, what what we had there is we had a shared vision. So, uh, I was Chuck's. Uh, associate head coach with the Pistons during that time that he was named a year and a half in advance to be the head coach. And, and so for the year and a half, he and I are traveling around the NBA playing games. I keep saying to him, so what are we going to say the first night at our first team meeting with the guys? What are we going to say? He'd say, I don't know. Like, this is like all I'm getting a year and a half worth, John. I'm like, <laughs> I want to, like, I want to, I want to give him ideas. I got all this stuff pent up of what we could say to Larry Bird, to Patrick Ewing, to Michael Jordan, to Magic Johnson, to Charlie Barkley, to Drexler, Pippen, and these guys, Carl Malone, Stockton. I, I want, I got ideas. And, and he never wants to discuss it. So we go in opening meeting in uh, San Diego. I'll never forget it. And he sits the guys down, first of all, uh, rather than at a podium, he's got 12 players, 11 pros, and Christian Leitner, the college player. And he sits in a U-shape uh, setup, like you would have a team a meeting. And he's yep. in the, he's at, he's just sitting at one of the spots. Coaches are all on the outside. You know, everyone's mixed in. And he says to them, uh, first thing, guys, uh, I just want to say, we you know, it's obvious we go over there to Barcelona, Spain, we have to win the gold medal, uh, you know, because they won't let us back in the country. And he makes a joke about it, you know, and they all laugh. He said, but uh, every one of you guys are used to playing in a 40-minute game. Uh, you're used to playing 40 minutes of that 48-minute game. You're used to taking 20 shots or more. And he says, I've got 12 guys. I've got a 40-minute game. And... 
I'm just saying we can't worry about how many minutes we play and how many shots we got. Does anyone have a problem with that? Everyone says, no problem, coach. So they 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 kind of bought in. I call it the buy-in. And then and then so he, he gave them uh, that as a thing. And he said, the biggest thing, though, we have to come away with on this whole thing is we have to be on time. And I'm like going, I waited a year and a half for you to tell me to be <laughs> on time. And I'm like, my I, I think my damn chin hit the ground. And, and the players are looking at him and like, be on time, huh? And he said, we're going to travel together for six weeks. He said, if we say we're going to have a bus leave at 9.30, we got to be on time. If we say we're going to practice at 10, we have to be on time. Because Michael, and he looks right at Michael Jordan, he says, Mike, if you're not on time, that means you don't respect magic. And magic, if you're not on time, that means you don't respect Barkley. And Barkley, if you're not on time, that means you don't respect Malone. And he goes right through it. And David Robinson, if you're not on time, that means you don't respect Ewing. And it wasn't about on time. It was about respecting each other. Mm. And to me, that was such a powerful message. And we walked out of there, those guys. So the next morning, John, as we're getting to the bus for 10 o'clock bus to go practice at 11 a.m. at the University of California in La Jolla, at 45 minutes early, I go down to make sure the bus is there, right? That's my contribution there as the head scout for the team. And so I go down there and I look and the bus is there. I look onto the bus and there's one guy on the bus already, 45 minutes early. It's Michael Jordan. And wow. I, yes. And, and in NBA games, when the Bulls would play, the superstars, if the bus is leaving at five, the superstars gets on the bus at one minute of five. <laughs> That's the way it rolls. The star comes in and we pull away. Now he's there 45 minutes early. So for the next six weeks, the closest we ever had to anyone being late was one player came 10 minutes early. Everyone else is there 20 and 30 minutes early because he set the tone. So, I, you know, I can't emphasize enough the role that, you know, the players pay to buying in. And I think that comes from believing in, believing in that leadership and believing in that shared vision. And that's also a, a key principle I actually wrote about in the power of a positive team. It's we before me. And great teams put the team first. They focus on we, not me. Now, me is important, right? We want to be great. We want to be our best. But by putting the team first, by being a we person, me gets better. And when you make the team better, you get better in the process. I think that's so so incredible, John. And did you, in, in all of the people in your research and stuff like this, what were really some, I, 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 I'm fascinated by the, you know, by billions because it's such an incredible show. I can't even imagine how you do a TV show. How did they say that? How did Brian say that they, they did that? Well, when they were writing, they would go back and forth with ideas. Mm-hmm. And he said, it, it didn't matter who, going back to We Before Me, it didn't matter who got the credit for the idea. Like, no one will ever know who wrote what line. Gotcha. They both want to get credit for each other. And so they're always propping each other up. They're always encouraging each other. They're always making each other great in the public eye. And so it really is about the team. Like the star of the team is the team. It's not the individual. And so when they were writing, they would go back and forth and they would have disagreements. Like, would have, you know, they, I don't like that. I don't like this. But they said, it's really not about whose idea it was. It was about creating the best idea, about finding the best idea that worked. And when they hit on that best idea. They're like, okay, that's it. But they would literally go back and forth 
trying to find the best idea. And I think we live in a world where a lot of times people want the credit. Their ego wants to be recognized. But John Wooden said it best. It's amazing what a team will, will accomplish when they don't care who gets the credit. Right. And so it's really about let's be a team that focuses on our result, not looking to get credit. I think the Eagles are a great example, for instance, last year of a we-before-me team. I mean, you saw injuries happen. Here you have Carson Wentz, who's hurt. And what is he doing? He's encouraging. He's in investing in. He's helping Nick Foles, the starting quarterback now while he's hurt. And he's given everything he has to Nick to help him be the best that he could be. He wasn't focused on himself, focused on the team. Working with the Rams last year, I mean, Sean McVay turned around that team, turned around the culture, and we before me was a huge part of their culture, getting guys to buy in, to focus on the team first, and we saw them have incredible success. Sean was coach of the year last year. I'm convinced he was able to get the guys to play together. And then we talked about Brad Stevens. That's what he's done in Boston. You see he's created an environment where those guys are selfless and playing for each other. You know, I, I, you know, uh, you know, not not to push our, you know, positive view summit, but uh, you know, I listened to every one of those speakers. But Sean McVay, you know, you know, I, I mean, my 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 full time job is studying coaches and helping coaches, and he said something as a thirty one, thirty two year old that just blew me away when you asked him about, you know. You know, what do you coach first? And I think this is so important for coaches to understand it with building a team. You know, they, you know, they think it's the play. They think it's the actual strategic design of a great play. Uh, Brad Stevens has received incredible notoriety because of his strategy. Uh, but Sean said, I coach the human being first. I've never heard that put like that you know i'm a big guy of you know i coach people not basketball but he said i coach the human being first and the player and and the you know and this you know and the sport or the you know the action second and i said and you know and his whole thing is to get players to reach their potential you know that's not about the outcome of the game that's about individualizing it to now and a thing when you're focused on helping individuals get better and players reaching their potential and developing the total person, the winning is going to take care of itself. If you're good, very, enough, right? Very, very much so. And, and great teams are always striving to get better together. That's one of the principles. And so Sean's basically saying, Hey, I'm always trying to get better as a coach. And by the way, whenever you make a mistake, he would actually take the blame. He would never, deflect it or never put it on the players. He would always take it himself. So he would move it away from the players on him and take responsibility for a loss. So he was always try striving to get better. He and the team had what I call positive discontent. And positive discontent is that even when they won, they were still looking at what they did wrong and how they can get better. They weren't looking at winning as the cure-all. They right. were always getting better no matter what. And then also, when they would lose, they would say, okay, how can we get better? positive discontent. We're not happy. We got to continue to improve and grow. But in doing so, he knew it's through the relationships of his players. That's how he was going to win in the long run. So the players respect him, one, because he's brilliant. They like, this guy sure. is like off the charts brilliant in terms of offensive mind. But he also invests in them and he has their backs and he develops a relationship with them. And so they go, okay, this guy really does care about me. 
Like he's serious when he says it. He really means it. And he's looking out for me and he's here to invest in me. And he's so likable, but he also is going to challenge you to get better and help you improve and grow. A lot of similarities I've noticed like between him and Dabo and these great coaches, right? That's what they do, that love and accountability. You know, they, they love you, but they also hold you accountable and they help you, they make you better. And so these, these great teams and great coaches are always about how can we get better and how do we make each other better? And so they pursue excellence together. And Brendan, I want people to know that when we talk about the power of a positive team, it doesn't mean that we're just about positivity and having fun. What I have found is that positive teams also pursue greatness together because yeah. they believe that greatness is possible, because they believe in a brighter and better future. They actually give their best. They help each other become their best in order to create a, a, a great outcome, the best outcome. And so they're always about pursuing the best and about pursuing greatness. And so real positive teams are about greatness and about getting better. And then a big part of that also I wrote about is, is having the difficult, difficult conversations that even when a, you know, a team is winning, you still have the challenging conversations and how to get better. Or when you're losing, you're having those conversations that like you really have to bring it to the forefront. We know Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll has tell the truth Mondays. I, I love that. Any, I love any, that. Wow. Any, any business, could do tell the truth Mondays. You can do it even as, as a family. Like, <laughs> I'm not like, sure the like, White House would go along with that, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, Most oh, businesses, yes. Man, yeah, we, we, we're not we, even going to go We're there. not going there. I, I, I don't know. I just couldn't help it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm an independent right now, but I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell the truth, exactly. So, But tell the truth Mondays is, okay, everyone knows that we're going to go over what we did wrong in the game. And you expect it. And we're not here to put blame on anyone. This is all about having the difficult conversation in order to get better. So many teams, they shy away from the conflict. They shy away from having those conversations. So they never get better. And Steve Scheinbaum, he gave me a great nugget that I put in the book. He said, so many teams want to be liked, especially the millennials and the younger people. They, they don't want to rock the boat. Sure. So, so they just want to be liked. So they never move to love. And because they just stay surface level, they never have the deep conversations or have that conflict you need to have in order to grow. I always tell people, my wife and I and our, our family, we fight, right? We fight, but because we have these important conversations, because there's a lot of love and respect and trust, the fighting makes us better. And we have to have those conversations in order to grow. So Tell the Truth Mondays makes a team grow and get better because they're having those real conversations. Yeah, your wife, Catherine, she's a truth teller, so it's a positive <laughs> experience. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams 
and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit fastmodelsports.com or follow them on Twitter at fastmodel. With coaching, when you're coaching adults, when you're coaching professional sports, um, I know you're sitting in there with guys making now, you know, you know, average NBA salaries, eight and a half million dollars. And so you're sitting in there and these people, this is their only job. And, you know, LeBron James, I don't care if he's making 35 million next year or whatever. uh, He wants to win bad. But if you tell him the truth and you, but you can have as a leader, and we have this at a lot of colleges, especially not that much in professional sports, because uh, they know they can't win without the players. So it's more in college that when p- teams lose, the coach blames the players, and when they win, he takes a bow and he does his TV show how great he is, and you know, and he's getting all the financial benefits. But that is that is. That's a transactional coach, in my opinion, not a transformational coach. You have to, in this, be in this together. As Coach K uses the term, collective responsibility. When we lose, we lose together. When we win, we win together. And I think it's an appropriate thing. One of the things that happened to me and Chuck, as we're on our ride to the first championship, John, we're playing the Bulls in Chicago Stadium, and we're beating them 19 points at the half. And we're one-to-one in the series. They had upset us in game one. And all of a sudden, in the second half, Michael goes for, you know, like 30-something points, ends up with 47, and we lose the game by two. And afterwards, they've won two in a, two games in a row. Now, it's two-to-one. They got the next game at home. They got a chance to close this out now against us. So uh, I can remember that night with – uh, Isaiah Thomas saying, hey, Brendan, we can't stop this guy one-on-one. we got to double-team him. And so he, we, we kind of put together the Jordan rules that night at like 2 in the morning. And I go to Chuck the next morning and say, hey, Chuck, this is what Isaiah wants to do. I, I really think he's right. And he looks at me and he says, you're wrong. I said, well, Chuck, why? And he says, you got the two best defensive players in the world, Rodman and Dumars, and you're telling them they can't stop this guy. And I said, well, you know, so he brought it to the team and he said, and the guy said, coach, we want to do it except two players, Rodman and Dumars didn't want to do it because now you were saying they weren't good enough. And right. and Chuck, to his credit, and I at the time thought it was very negative, said, guys, it's not going to work. What you want to do will not work. I'll let you try it, but I'm telling you it won't work. And I'm saying, what an attitude to have. What he was doing was telling them, if you want it to work, you better do it because you're going to be accountable for it. And you know what? You know, we win three state games. Michael, the most he ever got was 19 points again. And I I said, I learned something because he used a different form of leadership to get buy-in from us. He basically said it won't work. And that's not being positive, but he was a genius. He knew his team better than I did. You know, and I and I and I never forgot that, and and it's really been a shape to do it. You have to know your team, whether it's a business team or not, 
you have to know that group and what makes the buttons on them push. It's just not something by reading your book you're going to say, hey, I can run a business, I can coach a team. You have to first know all these people inside out, and that's where the relationship part comes, John, I think. I love that, and I, and I agree with that 100%. Like, you can read my book, you can read any other book, and these are ideas, these are practices that I have found that work. But what I have also found is that every coach has to have their own style and do things their own way. You can't do things exactly by the book. Right. You, you take these ideas, you take some of these nuggets and some of this wisdom, and you apply it to your style and apply it to what you do. Chuck knew that that negative reinforcement would work in the short term. See, I learned something from Sean McVay. We were meeting a couple months ago, and he said, you know, John, motivation, he goes, what's the difference between motivation and inspiration? Hmm. And I was, I was stumped. <laughs> motiva much. Motivation could be positive or negative, but inspiration is always positive. Good. And so you can motivate someone negatively in the short term, which is what Chuck did. Now, I don't think that would work in the long term, having that attitude all the time. I agree. But, but at, at that moment, at that time, a brilliant idea to get a short-term result out of his team. And he knew what he was doing. And I just, I just love that. And, I'll, you know, again, I think sometimes that works with my son too, right? He works better with positive reinforcement. But I found that he's the kind of kid sometimes if I tell him he can't do it, he'll actually try to prove me wrong. And sometimes in the short run – that's what you want. But you also have to give that encouragement for the long term as well. So it's really, coaching is such an art and it's not a perfect formula that you could apply every time as every coach and every leader knows, right? You will have a different situation every time. But what I tell coaches and leaders all the time is you have the team you have for a reason and that team is meant to make you a better leader, a better coach. And after dealing with that situation, you now move on to the next situation. You move on to the next situation. And over the course of your life, like you, you've pretty much seen it all. So when a young coach comes to you and says, Brendan, what do I do with that? You're like, oh, that's like this and this. And here, here's some ideas and tips on that. Right. Because you've pretty much seen it all. But it takes years of learning and growing to have experienced that. And then uh, it, two things hit me while you were talking. Uh, one is where does, you know, I think, uh, you know, teams, you know, we talk about talent, we talk about the people, and we talk about the leadership. Where does this X factor called grit come in to a team? Well, I've been really thinking a lot about team grit, and I wrote about this in the book because it's so important. Yeah. That you will never have a gritty team unless you are a connected team. A mm. team must be connected to each other if they're going to be committed. So you need connection, then you need that commitment, and that commitment is what will drive the grit of that team if you're truly committed to each other, if you right. really want to fight for each other, if you want to play for each other. We see that in the NBA. We see it in all teams. Yep. A, a great team, well, let me say, a talented team might give up halfway through the season because they have no connection and commitment. And what great coaches do and what great teams do is they come together, they become connected, then they become committed, and then they're gritty. I had a, a college basketball team. They had grit as their word. They had grit written on the wall. They had grit all <laughs> over the place. Even some guys had grit tattoos, and they kept on losing all these close games. So I go and meet with this team, and I said – because I really liked this team, and I saw they had a lot of talent and potential. And I said, so guys, 
on a scale of one to ten, how connected are you? I always love the one to ten question. On a scale of one to ten, how connected are you? And they were like three, four, five. Like the highest was a five. I, and I love that they were being honest. But I said, it's clear why you're not winning close games because you're not connected <laughs> and you're not committed. You're not tight. And you'll never win in a foxhole with people who you don't like or don't care about. And so they got it. They really worked on their connection and commitment. The next year had an incredible season by being more connected and committed. And now they truly were gritty. So grit is not a word written on the wall. It's a connection from heart to heart of each team member that makes you committed and having a, have a willingness to fight for each other you know, and a desire to fight yeah. for each other. One of the things now that happens with teams with these, you know, Generation Y and uh, t- type of groups that of these, you know, from high school to, you know, young 20s uh, is that they don't talk to each other. So everyone, <laughs> everyone is texting uh, people, you know, the game ends, they get on the team bus and they're texting someone. They're texting their mom and dad. They're texting their AAU coach. They're texting someone important in their life and telling them why things didn't go right or why they went well. It's because of something. But they're not talking to each other. And I think we have to really work hard on getting these young people to talk to each other again and to get connected. And I think that's a real focus of any team. And it's the same in business. I, I was doing a coaching session with a senior vice president of a hospitality company recently and I'm sitting there and the person is paying a lot of money for me to be there and to give him expertise on how he can lead his group better. Small group leadership, we called it. And he's sitting there and as I'm sitting there and I'm giving him my best stuff and as he's reading texts and he's texting people back. Yep. I took took the phone away from him. I took the phone away from him. I said, what would you do if you go down and see one of your associates and while you're t- giving him some info or coaching him or talking to him, he starts talking on the phone or, or texting someone? Well, that'd be BS and all. I said, well, why would you do that to me? I'm trying to help you. He didn't even realize he did it. And that's the thing. It's not malicious. It's they don't even know sometimes now, John. You see it all the time. And that's why... We have to be intentional with our connecting and committing. So in the book, I have 10 of my favorite team building exercises. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that every team should have ongoing team building once a week, not just in in the beginning of the season, but throughout the season. This is one of the things that Brian Boland has done at UVA. Brian Boland, by the way, is now head of all of men's USA tennis. And so he oversees all of the different teams, Jack Sock, John Isner, He's responsible for for pretty much making American tennis uh, dominant. And yeah, don't say make America great again. I, I'm not going there. He's, <laughs> he's committed to, to making them an incredible program. Yeah. So, yeah. But he's taking his same principles that he did with UVA, and it's all about that. Now that see that 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 to me is brilliant. I mean, where where do core values come in, John, on all this? Uh, you know, or or your you know the things that one. A belief, does a team need to have their values, uh, in your opinion? Uh, the head coach, you know, has pillars sometimes, like a Tony Bennett of Virginia has his five pillars. You know, what, what's your feeling on that for, you know, the, you know, the success of a team? 
Yeah, I believe that great teams hold each other accountable, mm-hmm. not to rules, but to a standard of excellence. Yeah. And, and also to their core values. Like, this is what our culture stands for. This is who we are. And this is the kind of team that we want to be. Every great coach and every great leader must say with their team, who do we want to be? What do we want to be? And then decide, this is how we do things here. Maybe you did something different in your high school. This is how we do things here. Maybe you did something different in college, but you're in the pros now. This is how we do things here. And once you start to talk about how you do things here, that becomes what your culture is. Your culture is the living, breathing essence Mm. of what you believe, of what you say, and what you do. So it's not just the words written on the wall. It's not just the core values that are written on a piece of paper. It's how we live and breathe them every day. Every team today has a mission statement, but only the great ones have people who are on a mission. And so Mm. what kind of team are we? Are we on a mission? Are we living our core values? And how are we bringing those core values to life on a daily basis? And that comes from, again, the culture, the values, and then each team being accountable to those values and how we do things. So every book that you've written, you know, you know, I'm going to embarrass you and say this. I, I think you're absolutely brilliant and you almost know what's going to happen and outcome from it. What's your dream on this one? I think it's the same thing that I had with every book I've written and with the power of positive leadership, like the power of positive leadership. I really want to help leaders become mm-hmm. better leaders. So I wrote that to really create a framework of leadership and I, and it, and it, and it's been happening. So it's been exciting. Like I'm getting calls now, right from some of the top leaders in the country who are reading this book. Alan Mullally, who I wrote about in the book, you know, really thought it was, it was a, you know, a great work on leadership because he's one of the greatest leaders in history, actually. So to have him, to have him say that this book on leadership really was, got his stamp of approval to me was like, you know, meant wow. the world to me, meant everything. Yeah. He, re- he read this book on teams and he fully endorsed it as well. And so my hope with this book is that it will make teams better and stronger and help them become more fruitful together. So they won't allow negativity to sabotage your team anymore. They will work hard to become their best. They won't get discouraged. They'll make sure that they have the difficult conversation. They'll come up with their shared vision and greater purpose together. So they'll become a united, positive and powerful team. And that's my hope. So if you had to ask me like, you know, when I started writing, Brendan, I was writing the Energy Bus and these other books. Yeah. I wanted to inspire, empower, and encourage. And now here we are, pretty much 15 books later. And what I realized with these two books, The Power of Positive Leadership and The Power of a Positive Team, is it's really a mission now yeah. that I want to spend the next, hopefully, 20, 30 years of my life. Hopefully, I live that long. I want to develop leaders to help leaders become great leaders. And I want to help build strong teams. And if I could do those two things, I'll have, I feel a life that's well lived. Well, as a friend of mine says, let's, let's share this with millions to influence billions. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I mean, this, your stuff, my friend is, is been so helpful to me. Uh, and I know to so many of the friends and to coaches and business leaders, we share this with, uh, it's, 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 it's life changing. And I thank you for doing that because, uh, you know, I know you're ridiculously humble, but uh, I thank you 
for what you've done for me, but I know you've done this for thousands upon thousands. And that, my brother, is what you're all about. I know that. That's what your faith is all about. It's about helping people. And and so I thank you for that uh, because you are making a difference. I'm so excited that we're doing this today on June 13th, the day the book is being released. Tell us where uh, that we can get this book today. Well, B, thanks for your kind words. Thanks for, for really being a great teacher for me as well, a great mentor. I, I believe sometimes I'm your teacher, sometimes you're my teacher. So I think that's what's great about mm-hmm. us. We, we're always learning from each other. And um, and sometimes, uh, I was actually saying my wife, sometimes I'm her teacher. No, actually, my wife's always the boss, but I am second mm-hmm. in command of my team. I go to the same church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at, at home. But um, in terms of... Um, in terms of the book, it, it will be available in all bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. The website is uh, powerofapositiveteam.com. And uh, we'll have it also available on my website, johngordon.com, J-O-N, gordon.com. And I just hope teams will get this book for, for each other. A coach will get it for their team and say, okay, let's read this together and let's become a positive, powerful team. And it's a short book too, so it's not a long book. I, I did it on purpose. I wanted, right. I wanted a team that's working in an office to be able to read together. I wanted a team that are a bunch of high school players, and they can read this book together as a high school team, and they will become stronger for it. That's my goal. You're about changing the world, my friend. Thank you for everything you do, and uh, for those of our coaches on the podcast, you know you're going to be able to uh, hear my dear friend at Coaching You Live, uh, you know, on July uh, 10. Uh, you know, uh, July 9 and 10 will be in Vegas, and John's going to be there. And it's uh, it, it, every time he comes, he, he changes the room. So I thank you, brother, for doing that. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to be there both days, actually. Yes. Gonna be yep. learning, yeah, learning as well. And uh, I'm going to be talking about this topic, the power of a positive team. So hopefully uh, people will come for that. Yeah, oh, awesome. We'll make sure we have that. Thank you so much, my friend. And uh, again, Thank you for doing this book. Thanks, Pete.